Well, it's good to be here today. I want to thank the visitors for coming. And it seems like our turn comes around pretty fast anymore. So, eyes fixed on Jesus, and we won't have to worry anymore. Very fitting to what the message is today. You know, it's been said that we all have something. I guess you could say um, we're all in one of these three categories. You're either in a trial, or you have just come out of a trial, or you're about to get, about ready to go into a trial. So Jesus said himself in John 16:33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I don't believe he said that to necessarily scare us, but to let us know that we can rest in him and have peace. So we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah, the prophet, in uh, 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Elijah was a prophet, and in order to understand who he was, I'd like to um, give a little background. Ahab was the king of Israel at that time. He took over from his dad, Omri, um, who was a very wicked king. In fact, I read a little bit back, and it said that Omri was a king that God was very angry with. I think it even said more so than any other king. And then Ahab became king. And it, then it says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. So even more so than his father. If you think of anything, the worst thing you can think of, it was probably worse than that. God intended his people to worship him. But as they mixed with other nations, it got really messy. Another thing about Ahab, as you might know, he married Jezebel, a daughter of a king who worshipped Baal. And Ahab started serving Baal. He started worshipping him. He actually built a temple for Baal. And kings have been known to marry other kings' daughters. And, and it might have been for love, but it was also sometimes for political alliance. You know, if, you, if, if something goes wrong, you know, I, I, you gave me your blessing to marry your daughter. Come on, we're not going to fight, are we? Um, it reads that he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. That, that to me is saying quite a bit. Ahab was leading the entire nation into sin, so of course God was angry. Leadership represents the people, and God was not being represented. Now we're going to go to Elijah the prophet. He lived a life of opposition, and that was kind of normal for prophets because prophets were, God would tell them to give a judgment to people that were usually doing something they weren't supposed to do. And if we're doing something we shouldn't do and somebody comes up to us and is, tells us about it, or there's usually some opposition. So what a, what a life that prophets had. So this was a normal life of Elijah. But we're, you know, we think of prophets, are they perfect? Were they perfect? No, they were human just like you and I. But you know, their job was to spend time with God and to listen to see what God had for them. Our job is to go do a roof while serving God. Their job was totally to be dedicated to God, to find out his will, to share to the people. So God called Elijah to pass judgment on Ahab, the most wicked king ever. How exciting. 
So I'm going to read in 1 King 17, the first verse. New Living Translation. Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now remember, they were serving Baal. They thought Baal was the one that brought the rains and brought the droughts, whatever. So for Elijah to come over to him and tell him that my God is saying there will be no rain, The drought came, and, and God provided for Elijah. You probably know the story. He took him to a stream. He had ravens feed him. Ravens were unclean birds. He had ravens feed him in the morning and the evening, bread and meat. But then after a while, the stream dried out. And uh, let's stop there for a second. Don't you think God could have kept that stream flowing just a little bit just to keep him alive? Don't you think he could have kept the ravens busy? But it seems like... I see a pattern in these stories in the Bible, and I see the same pattern going on today. Do, we, do you think God doesn't want us to become too comfortable where we're at? <clears throat> because sometimes comfortable brings... I'm not saying that he doesn't want uh, our, his people to be happy, but sometimes comfortable brings complacency. It brings maybe uh, to become expectant, and maybe even some ungratefulness. So... It seems like when something good is happening, things can change up easily. Uh, and your trust in God, your faith, it has to kick in, and it has to carry you through those times. So God tells him to go to this village where he would meet a widow and she would feed him. So she was, he met her, and she was picking up sticks, and, and he said, can I have a drink of water? You know, she probably thought she could do that much. But as she was leaving, he said, could I also have some bread? Can you imagine what went through her mind? Can't you see around you? This is a drought. I barely have enough to feed my family. So, I'm going to read verse 12. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. She was preparing her last meal. She, she had only a little bit. And she just figured one last time. She, she had no way of getting anything more. And then this man comes and asks for it. So Elijah then comforted her saying this was a commandment from God. She shouldn't be afraid but trust in him. And, and he didn't say make the meal and let's split it up. He actually said make me some bread first and God will never let your containers run dry or run empty until the drought is ended and the crops come back. What faith that took for her to make the last of the meal and give it to him. She did that and they continued to eat there together. But then the widow's son died and the widow became really upset. In verse 18 Through 24. Let's see. 
Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. She saw a miracle happening every morning in her house, and she still questioned God. That's, it just, this life can be so relatable to that. We, we see things happening, good happening, but still when something comes along, we waver. So 1 Kings 18, the drought was going on in the third, uh, going into the third year, and uh, God told Elijah uh, to tell Ahab that he will soon send rain. So meanwhile, it was becoming so severe, Ahab told his faithful servant Obadiah, he summoned him, he was in charge of the palace, and um, they had to search every valley in the land and spring so that they could just find enough so at least their horses and mules would not die. Ahab would go one direction, Obadiah would go another. Now this is hard to believe, but Obadiah was a uh, devout uh, follower of God. That is really hard to believe, him being one of uh, Ahab's most trusted servants there. Um, but Obadiah had already hidden the Lord's prophets in a couple caves, 50 in one cave, 50 in the other and had fed them while Jezebel was trying to, to, to kill all the prophets. So he was walking along, he came face to face with Elijah, and he just bowed down to the ground. He said, um, he asked Elijah, you know, uh, is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? And Elijah said, yes, it is. Now tell your master Elijah is here. Now we have to keep in mind that, you know, in Ahab's mind, this was all Elijah's fault, this drought that was here. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar when we do something or something happens that's wrong? It's usually not our fault. It's usually somebody else's fault. Um, but the, you know, the person we are sometimes last to blame is ourselves. So Ahab was certain Elijah, who is only a messenger for God, it was his fault. So did Obadiah willingly, uh, willingly go? He protested about the death he would receive if he'd go back there. And not only that, if he'd go back there empty-handed and come back and Elijah was not there because the spirits had carried him wherever, then he would also be killed instantly. So it was a certain death for Obadiah in, in Obadiah's eyes. So, and he said, you see, Elijah, not only does he blame you for this drought, but he has searched every nation and kingdom, making kings swear that they are telling the truth when they said Elijah wasn't here. And can you imagine what he's thinking? You know, and you want me to do what? You want me to go back to him and tell him that I've seen you? And give him that message? Um, but that's our response many times. We can't see the big picture. We just know what we know. We know what we're told. We know what we learn. We have learned. And yes, we can figure some basic things out. But, um, but looking at the unknown where it's out of our control, we become fearful. No matter how many times 
we get carried through. The next time something happens with fear of the unknown, there we are again, not trusting God, that God is in control and he's got a greater picture in mind, greater than we can even comprehend. So verse 15 says, that, But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. This is verse 15 in chapter 8 and 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. <clears throat> then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is a true God. And this is important. All the people agreed. Elijah had the people where he wanted them now. He basically had set up a challenge. <clears throat> could say God wanted them where uh, God had them where he wanted them. And so he told the prophets of Baal, you go first, you know. But wait, do not light that fire. They did. They started calling on Baal. They started uh, just dancing around the altar, pleading with him, pleading with their God to show up. And if no answer was bad enough, you know, Elijah actually started making fun of them. You know how it is when you're trying to prove something and it doesn't go the way you plan and somebody's actually there taunting. Not, I'm not sure I'd say that's a good way to go, but this is what happened. You'll have to shout louder, he says. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's daydreaming. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Like he just, he gave it to them. So they went to the next level, I guess you could call it. They started cutting themselves. Blood was gushing. They were dancing, uh, shouting louder. They raved all afternoon until the evening sacrifice. It was time for that. But there was still no sound, no reply, and there was no response from their God. So we're going to read verse 30 to 39 then. It says, Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water, pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they finished, he said, Now a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar, even filling the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. 
He was not wanting to take the credit for it. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so those people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah then commanded them to seize the prophets of Baal, and he had them all killed. So 41 says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground, prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah to told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. As soon as the sky was black with clouds, and soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the answer, entrance of Jezreel. Can you imagine being there and watching that fire come down from heaven? No, there was no argument left. If, if the wood would have started burning, they could have said, well, there was a spark there. Something happened that tricked, they, you know, magicians trick people all the time. They could have made up things. There was no room for any doubt. God came down from heaven, and he just brought fire down from heaven, and he just demolished everything in sight there. Burned up the stones, dust, even the water around it. He has proven he's a real God. Now, thinking back on Elijah, he was a man of God. He trusted God. He prayed, you know, and God answered in mighty ways. He knew how God had fed him in a supernatural way with the, the, the ravens, uh, with the stream, feeding him with the stream in a drought. Then he went to a town, and he met this widow, and they continued to have food on and on, miraculously having food, and then bringing his, her son back to life. All these things he saw happening, God was just, just working in his life. He had a real intimate relationship with God, and then the rains that did come after praying. You think that the one thing that he would never, that would never come up again in his life is whether or not he could trust God. You think that because he saw God do these incredible things over and over and over again in his life, came down with fire, he raised the dead, brought the rain. Some other issues might have come up in his life, but you'd think that one thing that would never come up again was trusting God. But when we get into chapter 19, right after these events, that doesn't seem to be a ca the case. And I think that's sometimes how it is when you're on a... When you, when, if you want to call it a spiritual high, or things are going, and, and, and you're working for the Lord... It seems right afterwards, Satan can just come down there. He doesn't like what's happening, and he can just cause doubt. But we're going to read uh, 1 Kings 19 uh, right now. And that's when, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal.
<clears throat> so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Basically, she was saying, Elijah, you are going to die. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. <clears throat> Does that sound like trusting in God? <clears throat> there are some things to take away from this. Elijah was where God wanted him to be. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He was anointed by God to do his work. He had just come from that spiritual high. You could call it that. In front of all those people, he just, he just asked for it, and whoosh, God came down and showed himself with fire. Well, let's bring that back home again, uh, back to us again. As God's people, it's probably good that we're all involved in, in some type of ministry as God's people. And it, it, it could be raising the, your family at this time. It's not up for us to determine that. It's up to you. It's up to me. But let's think about that for a minute. Serving God and doing His will can get a little rough. It, it can be rewarding, but it can still be overwhelming. There's a quote I read that says, uh, I really like it, it says, Don't let the circumstances of life change your mind about your God. Don't let the circumstances of life change your mind about your God. Sometimes we look at our, our circumstance and we forget what God has done, and it leads to this. It might be what Elijah was going through. God, I know you are all-powerful, almighty. I know you can uh, bring fire from heaven. I know you can bring the rain. I know you can do all these things. But God, this one thing I'm going through right now, I don't think you can handle it. I know you can protect, but in this one instant, I'm not sure you can protect me, Lord, is what Elijah was saying. It sounds pretty silly right now, doesn't it? I've heard it said that our circumstances don't determine who our God is, but it is an opportunity for God to show himself who he really is. So we can refer to Matthew 19, 26, when Jesus said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but like Adam said earlier, but with God, all things are possible. Of course, they were talking about the camel going through the eye of the needle. Humanly speaking, that's not going to happen. But God wants us to think way past what we can think and see right here. So we might, um, there might be times when all we see is the circumstance that we are in or the trial that we are in. We forget about the time when we were on fire for God and ministering to others. And God was showing up in a real way at that time. But now we see ourselves stuck a little bit in a rut. Or we see an unfavorable circumstance come up in our life. And right away we're like, not right away, sometimes it takes a while, but then we're like, I'm done, that's it. I don't want to serve anymore. Just take me, I'm basically, I'm finished. You feel overwhelmed. And usually whatever ministry or whatever we're doing, we like to sometimes blame that for what we're feeling. But a lot of times there's something else going on in our lives. When, when I feel this, 
it sometimes makes me feel better to blame the ministry I'm in or the the thing that I, the the service I'm doing for God. Blame the people. I I can't work with this guy. Nobody gives me credit. I don't have. Uh, I just don't feel thankfulness. But usually, when we get to a place like Elijah, there's still something else going on. But we have to remember, nothing is impossible with our God. Amen? Now, God didn't just leave Elijah. You know, reading in verse uh, 5, it says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You know, God knows when we're stressed. He knows what we need. He knew what Elijah needed. He didn't leave him hanging. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. I don't know what he had, but I'd like to have some. (laughs) 40 days and 40 nights, he had strength. Not only strength but to, to live but to travel verse 9 says there he came to a cave where he spent the night but the Lord said to him what are you doing here Elijah you know whenever God asks what are you doing here is that safe to say you're probably not where you're supposed to be so we could ask um, didn't God help him get to this place If he wasn't where God wanted him to be, why would he help him? Well, I believe God is a loving God. He will help us in our needs. If Elijah wouldn't have been sleeping under the tree filled with fear, the circumstances might have been different. But God is a loving God, and it doesn't mean that he's going to turn his back on us when we have fear and doubt in our lives. Elijah then answers God in verse 10. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. One dangerous place for us to be in as Christians is to think that we're the only one left. We're the only one that deals with this sin, with this struggle. We're the only one with financial problems. Yes, he might have some. He might be at this level with his sin or with his finance, but it's not like mine. I'm the only one left. When we feel like that, it's basically saying, well, it's basically directed toward God and saying, you, you couldn't take care of the others ahead of me. How are you going to take care of me, Lord? And that's not to downplay the difficulties we go through, not to downplay or to, to, to dismiss the trials and troubles we, we have in our lives. But it's a dangerous game to play when we start playing, uh, getting uh, only one-itis. I, yeah, I made that up. Um, it's not copyright, so you can use it. But let's remember, we're not the only one going through it. Elijah was basically saying that Jezebel is going after all the other prophets of God, and it's only me left. So how, how are you going to take care of me? I would just rather die right now. Then God reminds him in verse 18, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel 
who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. There was 7,000 people there that was serving the same God. He was not the only one. He might have gotten false information or he might have felt like that. But we've got to remember we're not the only one left. So without saying you're not going through something difficult, because sometimes we are, just don't feel alone. You're not the only one and God has not forgotten about you and me. We might be saying that we're in a place where it's very unfamiliar. We've never um, been here before. But the good news is God has been. He's been taking care of his people long before we were born. What a comfort and refreshing thing to know that every trial we go through, he's been, we might have been going through it before, but he has gone through it with his people before us. He hasn't lost one of his children yet. He's a faithful God. So let's not fall into that trap of thinking we're the only ones. And, and I believe that's a benefit of having small group meetings, testimonies, um, and most of all, loving each other unconditionally. And then we can recognize that we're not the only ones. You know, since I've started attending here, and becoming more open of maybe who I am, my struggles, getting to know each, um, each other better, um, you know, I found out I'm not the only screwed up one, <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have... Uh, we have addictions to overcome. We've got things we need to overcome. But I like to think that we can turn those around and we can become addicted to Jesus. Not saying that we want to compare each other, what we struggle with. But, you know, you finally realize that you fit in when you realize that you're not the only one. This crazy and perfect group of people that loves on each other. Uh, no matter what faults, you know, we fit in. This is what the body is for, and I appreciate every one of you. Um, I'm gonna, I want to read a little bit from the chapter, you could call it a faith chapter, many mighty men of God who have done things in faith and things have happened. So that's in Hebrews 11. If you want to turn with me, that's up to you. Right. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And, and we could also say by trusting God, you know, faith, faith, but also by trusting. Faith shows the reality of what we were what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. So I'm going to just read a couple verses here and there. Uh, 17 says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And then verse 24, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. All of these things were done by faith. It goes on and on, these mighty men of God. And 32 says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God has promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. They, the weakness was during, uh, turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. This was all done by faith. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. 
Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts, mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. By faith and trusting God, they accomplished all these great things. And 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with the endurance the race God has set before us. We are part of the evidence that God is real. You know, all these stories we have in this little room, we are part of the cloud of witnesses. So God is real, and the evidence is there, and God still changes lives. But we have to run with perseverance. And perseverance takes training. So we go at it again, and we go at it again. And then we see a brother going at it alone, so we go with him, and together we go at it again. That is part of this journey down here on earth. So Hebrews 2, um, let's see, verse 2, uh, 12, 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. What usually happens when we get stop trusting in God is we lose heart. So we get tired, we get frustrated. God, I know you're real, I know you're strong, I know you can do all things, but in this situation I'm not sure. We lose heart. And the rem remedy of this, I believe, is fixing our eyes on Jesus. So I want to encourage us today with these couple things. Don't let the circumstance of your life determine who your God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And let's not fall into the trap of we're the only one. Again, the remedy is focus on Jesus, which is out on the sign. Focus on Jesus. We have a song I like played at this time before, um, before we turn it over to Adam. But... Um, Listen to the words of this song, The Trials. It's a new song I just heard the other day about trials. And everywhere we go, there is Jesus. You can turn that up a little bit, Devon, and, uh, and we can all stand and listen and turn it over to Adam. Every time I try to make it on my Every time I try to stand, start to fall And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now 
Of the alleys, there 